All right, good morning, everybody. We can grab our seats here. We're going to get started. All right. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Good, 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 good. All right, so it's our third week here, and I think we're, we're finally buttoning down, like, what it takes for setup and the teams that we need and all the things that we're doing, and I think everybody that's volunteering, like, Thank you guys so much for just stepping in and, and, and helping and just being a part of this community uh, as we're, we're sorting things out here. And so, yeah, it's been good. All right. Well, we're going through a series of Romans. Uh, so those that have uh, that, that's kind of joined us over the last couple of weeks, we started off this year, this new kind of season that we're in, in Romans. And last week, we covered a huge chunk of Scripture. We talked about the wrath of God. We went through uh, basically verse, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to 3.20. And today we're, we're, we're still going to be covering a pretty big chunk. We're going to go from uh, 3.21 all the way to the end of chapter 4. But as we, as we go through these, the, this beginning parts of Romans, what we're starting to really see and what's starting to unveil uh, before us is the character of God. The first week we talked about the gospel. What is the gospel? That everything is, is, is uh, grounded and, and, and rooted in the gospel. That, that God gave us this good news. And that this, this good news is for all of us. And then last week we, we went through talking about God's wrath. And it's always hard to talk about God's wrath because we don't like talking about the bad parts. But we talked about how Paul writes about God's wrath so that we can understand the gospel deeper. That without understanding the sin and the wrath of God, that we don't see the goodness of God. We don't see the gospel for being good because we don't understand what sin looks like. And so when we, we, we learn about the wrath of God against sin, we learn about the goodness of God and the goodness of his gospel. And today we're going to co be covering something um, that really sets Christianity apart, Christianity apart from other religions. What we're looking at is one of the fundamental things that set us as Christians apart. And it's that we are justified by faith through grace. What this means is that we are made right, that right relations are put in place by believing that God has given us a gift to be with him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 3. First, we're going to start from 21 and we're going to read up to 26 only and we're going to pray and then we're going to get into this. But Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we worship you as a church. May we continue to May you continue to speak through your word so that we can see more of your heart. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to reveal more of who you are so we can live fully in the gospel that you have given us. Build up our faith in your son, Jesus. We call this in Jesus' name, amen. So there are three huge concepts um, in these next passages here that, that I want to kind of give you a premise off first, uh, and then we'll see how Paul lays it out here in the church. This phrase here, 
that we that I, I said here has been around since the, the time of the Reformation of the church, and that's the idea of being justified by faith through grace. In Romans 3, 23 to 25, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So there's three words, three big concepts. It's being just, justification, grace, and faith. So where, where do these words come from? The, so let's start with justification. I want to define these terms for us because oftentimes the English language is, is lacking, right? The Bible is written in two languages. It's written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek, and so we always have to go back to the original, the original language for us to really get a deeper understanding of what Scripture actually says to us. And oftentimes the, the words in Greek and the words in Hebrews, these words actually go much deeper than what we actually know in the English language, and we actually don't have the proper words to actually translate sometimes uh, these concepts, right? And so we, if we go into it, and if you know any Greek or Hebrew, I know, I don't know if there's any Hebrew or Greek scholars here, um, but if you look at some of these words, there's always a root word, right? There's always uh, these other roots that are in it, and those roots actually give us these, these meanings. So when we read scripture, it actually gives us this depth. And so I'm not going to give you a whole Greek lesson here because that will bore you. Uh, for me, it's actually pretty fun. But I know for some of you, you're probably like, John, just shut up. Anyways, justified. I'm going to just quickly defy, define some of these terms for you. The, the word justification comes from a legal or forensic term, and it's the opposite of condemnation. The word, the Greek word that's used there is uh, dikaiosis. It's a feminine noun. It means the act of God declaring men free or that guilt is acquitted. In Romans 5, it actually uses this word in this way. It says, therefore, as one trespass leads to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. Right, so we, we, we see this idea of justified. It's that idea of what you're guilty of being taken away. I remember this one time, and a lot of you guys that don't know my past, this might be a shocking to you. But when I was around 16, I got arrested. I was put into juvenile detention. And when I was released, I was on probation or parole kind of thing. And in that time, if you, you know anything about the justice system, that time is pretty, like, you're free, but you're not really. Right? You're free, but you can't do anything else to, to kind of, y if you do anything wrong, you get thrown back in, basically. That's, that's what it is. And so I, I was out, and I was hanging with some friends, and for those that don't know what I got in for, I got in at that time that I went in twice. So uh, the second time I went in was for uh, possession uh, with intent to sell. So I used to deal drugs in my younger days. Um, and so when I came out, I was with some friends. We were hanging out. And at that time, in the 90s, weed was not legal like it is today. So there wasn't like a, a certain limit you could hit before... Um, before it's just like, oh, the cops will just kind of be like, okay, you, you haven't reached the max limit. Now, now it's just like you could carry it around and you could smoke it, and it was, it was very different. So me and some buddies, we went to smoke some weed, and we got pulled over. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm not supposed to have anything on me. I know that if they check me, they pull up my record, I'm done. I'm toast. I know that I'm going to get in a lot of trouble, probably get thrown back into detention again. And so the cops come up, and they search us, and they find a little bit of, of weed around us. And uh, the cops are just like, okay, who does this belong to? 
in my mind, I was already like, okay, time back in. It's okay. I just have to deal with my parents. That's it. Whatever. Not a big deal. And as I was about to say, well, this is mine, one of my buddies stepped up and said, no, this is mine. Because he knew what position I would be in if, if, I, if I took the blame for it. So he decided that I'm going to take all the blame on myself. I'm going to step in. He's like, I have no record. I'm clean. So he stepped in, took the blame, took the fall. He got charged. But it wasn't anything too serious, so it wasn't like he got thrown in prison or anything like that. But it was that act of what he did. He stepped into a place where I knew that I was guilty. That he stepped into a place where he's just like, I'm taking on the consequence. And therefore, John doesn't need to do anything. It doesn't affect him. It doesn't ruin him anymore. That's what justification is like. It's someone stepping in and saying, you're right. You're in the right. You're, you're, you're no longer condemned. You're no longer, you don't, have to, you don't have to pay the price for the wrong that you're doing. The next word that we're going to look at is the word faith. In Greek, it's the word pistis. And that word, there's the, it's, it's a trust, there's a loyalty, there's a conviction of truth. It's a belief, and sometimes we, we say faith is just this idea of, like, we just, we, we believe in it, right? That we, we trust in it, but faith is so much more, and we're going to go so much deeper into faith today. Grace is, comes from the, the Greek word charis, which means the benefit, the favor, the gift, the goodwill, the thanks. And you're actually going to see this word grace in the Bible a lot, but sometimes the same word pistis, you'll see it as translated as favor, okay? So oftentimes when we see like Abraham had favor with God, it's that same word pistis, and that pistis, that word, it's, we, 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 we understand kind of it as grace, but that aspect of when God sees favor, that, that this person had favor with God. There's this aspect of grace that comes with it, okay? So why do we need to know these things? Because, like I said, um, we just need to know kind of that there's something more, there's something deeper. When we study our Bible, sometimes when, we, when we're looking at, at uh, our devotionals in our quiet time, I encourage you guys, if you guys are able to, to have um, kind of a, a dictionary with you to kind of look into some of these things, right? Because the more we get into the word and the more that we understand what, what uh, scripture has to say to us, the more we understand who God is for us and his characteristics starts coming out and it starts becoming uh, revealing to us. So I bring all of this to help us gain more insight into Paul's writing. So let's start in chapter uh, 3, verse 21. It says, but now a righteousness of God is manifested, made known, because as we looked at the, these passages preceding this last week, one of the things that Paul said there, that is that there is none righteous, right? That none of us are righteous. Not a single person in this world is righteous. So Paul comes back and says, now righteousness is here. And it comes through the law or the commands that God has given to Israel through his prophets, and then it's fulfilled through Jesus for those that believe. And then he goes on to say that all of us, for all have sinned and what? Falling short of the glory of God. That humanity, every single one of us, every single one of us that's sitting in this room right now, every single person on the face of this planet, past, present, and future, have sinned or will sin. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, that every single person is in the same boat. That's what Paul is kind of addressing here, right? Remember, Paul is in writing to the Roman church where he's saying, where the Roman church is divided by the Jews and the Gentiles. Those that are like, we, we were part of the law, we're the original crew, 
and then all these Gentiles are coming into faith and they're understanding who Jesus is, but they're not living according to the law. They're not living with what we know of the law. And so there's this divide, but Paul says this. Paul says that every single person is actually in the same boat because all, every single person have sin. So that's, 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 that's the line right there. It doesn't matter how much you follow the law. It doesn't matter how good of a person you try to be. It doesn't matter how much you're, you're, you're going to say, I am justified because I live a good life that I try to be a good person, that I don't do anything wrong. The Paul says, no. That it doesn't matter whether you are a mass murderer or someone that just told a white lie. That sin is sin. And because there is sin there, you no longer have access to God because there is unrighteousness in you. So Paul had to draw out that line and says, it doesn't matter Jew, Gentile, whether you follow the law or you don't, the law is not going to save you. That the rules are not going to save you. When we look at what we, 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 we call the law in, in, in the Bible, the law is the laws that were written by, by Moses, okay? You'll find it in the, the book of Leviticus. You'll find it in the book of Deuteronomy. These are the laws that, rose, that, that Moses wrote. It came out of the Ten Commandments. These are the laws that the Jewish people are following. It gives them instructions on how to deal with things. It gives them instructions on, on how do we live and how do we, we observe certain things, right? These are the things that God has given to the Israelites as they were, as they were becoming a nation. These are the laws that they follow um, to, to, to in, in that sense, to, to be God's people. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter if you do all of that. You've sinned and you've fallen short. It doesn't matter that the Gentiles don't follow the law. You've sinned and you've fallen short. So Paul sets this, this bottom line that we're all in the same boat. All of humanity is in the same place. So why are we dividing ourselves? Why are we comparing ourselves? Why is it that we look at others and says, say, at least I haven't done that, or at least I'm not that type of person? Paul's saying you've sinned, so you cannot have the glory of God. You've sinned. Stop victimizing yourself. Stop, stop, stop being stop hurting others intentionally or unintentionally. I think what Paul is giving us is this revelation of you've sinned and sometimes for some of us it's hard to see that we've sinned. It's easy for us to be offended but sometimes it's hard to see who we've offended. It's easy for us to see sins that are done against ourselves, but oftentimes we don't want to see the sins that we've inflicted on others. And Paul is saying, stop. We're all in the same place. I think sometimes when we talk about sin, we like to, as a church, we like to just say, oh, Jesus forgave it all. Yes, that's true. There's truth in that, yes. The grace of God has gone and Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. But we don't sit often enough and think about the choices that we've made, the selfishness, through the selfishness of our own hearts, how they have affected others, how they have affected others in a negative way. Oftentimes we, we sin against others and not even know it. And Paul reminds us, you're a sinner. 
Yes, there's grace, but you're a sinner. Yes, God forgives you. He loves you. But think about what are things that you need to do in your life to make things right. Not because you're doing it to, to, to justify yourself, but you're doing it because you love that person. Why? Because God loves you. And oftentimes we like to sit in this place of oh, others have wronged us. It's easy to do that. But do we ever think of how we've wronged others? Paul says we're all in the same place. We're all in the same boat. And this boat is taking humanity away from God. But God also does this. God justifies you. What God says is, he says, in your right unrighteousness, I give you my righteousness. That you are no longer condemned. That his grace and his favor, his goodwill, through what Jesus did on the cross, I can now pass over your sin. That's what God does. He says that, yes, humanity is all, you're all in the same boat, you're all sinners, you're all are separated from me. But I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to justify everything that you've done. All the things that you have done, I am going to make right. And the cost of that was his son. The cost of that was Jesus coming into the world, living his life as a man, dying on the cross, being resurrected, so that the price of sin, which is death, can be paid. And God says, through my son, I justify all of humanity. All of humanity, that's incredible. That all of past, present, and future humanity, that Jesus' death on the cross says that I've paid it. I've justified you. I've made you right. That's what God is, is doing here. And what Paul is saying is that God justified us through his son Jesus. And this is the biggest thing and the only thing that separates Christianity from every other belief that is out there. Because every other religion, every other belief systems in this world says that you are justified by the things that you need to do, that you need to pay the price for the actions that you have done. Every single religion requires you to pay some kind of penance in order for you to be justified. Our legal system gives you penalties and consequences so that you pay for the sin that you've done. That's why I was arrested. That's why I had to sit in juvenile detention because of the fact that I did something wrong according to the legal system. Actually, according to myself, I did something wrong too, so... But there is a penalty that needs to be paid. There is a punishment that needs to be there. And the thing that, that, that every single belief system says, now you've done this, you need to make it right. So however, whatever it is that you need to do. So for me, when I was arrested, I had to sit in juvenile detention for three months. I was let go. And then I had to do 500 hours of community service. Right, and community service, oftentimes you think it's just these kids that are picking garbage off the side of the street, that's community service. That actually doesn't count, okay? Like, I had to go and work with old people in a senior home. I had to, it, it was horrible, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Not to 
for those that live in senior homes <laughs> or that work in senior homes, I have so much respect for you. <laughs> but we have to, there's a cost, that there's something that you have to do to make things right. That's what the world says. That's what every single system in this place, in this world says, you have to make things right. Even for ourselves, when someone sins against us, we say, you have to make things right for us. You need to repair this relationship. But what God does is, is that I will repay it. That you don't have to do a single thing. That I'm going to do it. That I'm going to send my beloved son into this world. He's going to live a life to understand what all of humanity has to hold. Okay? Sometimes we look at Jesus and we think that Jesus, yes, he's God, but he's also man, that he actually went through every single struggle that man had to go through. Remember that. That Jesus lived a life that he understands who we are. Right? That he understands the fullness of humanity. That he was tempted, that he was deceived, that he was, that he suffered. That he knows what hunger means. I'm hungry right now, so that's why I'm thinking about that. That God experiences all of the human emotions that we experience. That he understands who you are. And that even when Jesus approached the cross, you think there was fear in him? You think that there was anxiety with him? There was. But yet he did it out of obedience. He did it out of his faithfulness to humanity. Every religion says if you, that if you do things a certain way, if you follow these things, you will get to heaven. If you wrong your rights, and if you do more and more of these things, if you choose to live a better life, you will be a better person. But in Christianity, it says that you have sinned, and Jesus justifies you. And all you have to do is receive through faith. That's it. That's grace. That's favor. That every single one of you that is sitting in this room today, that God looks at you and says, I have found favor with you. That my grace is there for you. That's what God says to us. That you're I, I, give, I, 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 I see you and there's favor on you. Isn't that a good feeling? To know that God says, I see you. And it doesn't matter how you see yourself. It doesn't even matter how other people see you. That I see you. And there's favor on you. That's God's grace. Then Paul goes on to say in 27 to 31, it says, it isn't by following the law that you're saved. It's not by the law, but by the law of faith that you are justified. So what is this idea of law of faith that is through faith? And then Paul says that it is because of faith that we live out the law, okay? So what does he say? So then he explains all of this in chapter 4 through the person of Abraham. And for those that don't know Abraham, Abraham's story is found in Genesis chapter 15, where he makes, where God looks at Abraham and he finds favor on Abraham. He says that Abraham is righteous and he establishes his covenant with Abraham. And 
So Paul uses this Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis 15 to explain to us what it means to be justified by faith. Because the covenant that was made and, the, and that was established because Jesus didn't come yet at that time, right? Jesus didn't come. We, we're, we're living in what we call the new covenant established by Jesus. But the Abrahamic covenant, Jesus wasn't there. So what justified Abraham? What did? And Paul writes and says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. As a church, we understand that Jesus gives us righteousness, that his death on the cross gave us righteousness. But in the Old Testament, under the Abrahamic covenant, it said that his belief gave him righteousness. That Abraham was righteous because of his faith. That it is not through works, okay, because then Abraham could boast about it. But God says, it's not about what Abraham did, but it's because of what he believed. Because when we believe, when we when we have this thing where it's we work for a righteousness, then that work becomes an obligation. You know what I mean? That that work becomes something that we have to do. It's, no, it's not something that we want to do. It's something that we have to do. That's what, that's, that's what makes it religious. That was, that's what makes it religion. Because when we, we have to work for our faith, when we have to work for our salvation, then it becomes an obligation that we have to do these things and not that we want to do these things. And God said, the thing that made Abraham righteous was his faith, it was his belief. There's, one, there's only one way in which we as people could receive a promise, right? And that is through faith. There's no other way that we could actually receive a promise. If someone promises you something, the only way that you can receive that promise is through faith, right? It's like this. If I promise my daughter Faith five pieces of gummies, every, every day she asks me for gummies. It's, it's just her thing. And I give it to her, she doesn't ask Steph because she knows that Steph will say no. Um, she knows that if I want junk food, I go to dad which is why she comes to me a lot. <laughs> if I say to, to Faith, I promise you I'm going to give you five pieces of gummies if you clean up your toys. Right? She knows that if I clean up my toys, I will receive five pieces of gummies. But this is work. Because it requires her to do something in order to receive those five pieces of gummies. But if I say to Faith, I will promise you five pieces of gummies, and I leave it at that. She has to exercise Faith. Her, her name is Faith, too, sorry. This is confusing. I could, I, now that I listen to my own illustration, I can see it's confusing. <laughs> if I just say, I promise you I'll give you five pieces of gummies, the only way that she could come into that place of God's going to give me five pieces of gummies is that she has to trust me to give her that five pieces of gummies. That she has to have faith to know that dad's going to come through with this promise and he's going to give me five pieces of gummies. That's faith. It doesn't require her to do anything to receive. And that's what the Abrahamic covenant was, was that it doesn't, God never required Abraham to do anything. He promised Abraham that I, through you, I'm going to make this covenant with you, that you are going to be the father of a nation. That was God's promise. Right? That's what, this is what chapter 4 is talking about. That God promised Abraham that I am going to make you a nation. And Abraham at this time was old. Paul talks about it that he was dead. Meaning that he cannot no longer reproduce. He was 100 years old already. 
But on top of that, the Sarah was barren. Right? And God said, I'm going to make you a nation. With Abraham knowing that, Abraham could only say, I believe that you will make that happen. That was the only thing that Abraham could do. Because he knew that physically this is impossible. That this is this thing that God promised me is absolutely impossible. But God says that this is my promise to you. The only way that Abraham was able to receive that was by faith. And that's what faith is. Is to know that the promises of God will come to you. To a place that even when Abraham received Isaac and God says, I want you to sacrifice that son for me. That Abraham still held on to that promise of God and says that you, you promise me that out of this there will be a nation and because I have Faith in that promise, I'm going to sacrifice my son. The only son that you've given me. The only way that I will have any offsprings, the only chance that I will have any offsprings, I'm going to give that to you. Because of Abraham's faith. And Chapter 4, verse 20, Paul says this of Abraham, that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but that he grew strong in his faith, that he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he would promised. That is why his faith was counted as righteousness. church, we are justified in that same way. We are justified because we have faith. The covenant of Abraham is picked up again, that whole theme, like as Paul explains his covenant, this theme in 321, it, it actually runs through it too. It says that God's righteousness is revealed through Jesus, God's promise to Abraham, and what gave Abraham faith is therefore fulfilled in Jesus. That Jesus is the faithfulness of God, that through the faithfulness of Jesus we are therefore righteous. This is the grace that's given to us. That it required even Jesus to have faith to walk out what Jesus did for us. That it required a belief in God for Jesus to say, I'm going to walk this out even though sometimes I don't feel like I want to. Before Jesus went on the cross, Jesus says, Father, if you could take this away from me, can you take it away from me? We, see, we hear that intimacy with Jesus between him and his Father. But out of obedience. Why? Because Jesus had faith. This is the faith that is unwavering. This is the faith that when we talk about, that, that we talk about that we need to have that faith in Jesus, we need to have faith in God. That's the faith that we're talking about. That sometimes we may not see the outcome. That we may not be, we're not able to perceive what God's going to be doing. That we s trust that God has a plan for us. That we trust that God has our lives in his hand. That God is holding us. That we have favor with him. That his promises for us are true. That we can say yes and amen to the things that he says to us in our hearts. That's what, that's what faith is. There's this depth to faith that I feel like as a church, sometimes we don't understand because we just simply wrap it up as we believe. 
And faith is not by the works that we do. But in James, James talks about how faith and grace and all that come with works. Because when we have faith, we walk out what God has for us to walk out. It begins to transform the way that we live. It begins to transform the way that we think. It begins to transform the way that, that we do things. And this idea of walking out the laws after faith is what the church is supposed to be doing. Okay? That it requires us to have faith. It requires our belief system, our internal being of who we are to be transformed in order for us to walk out the law that God has laid before us. That by walking out the law doesn't make us a Christian, that it's our faith in Jesus Christ that makes us a Christian. God is a relational God. We see that in Abraham. We see that with Jesus. God is not after what you could do for him. He's not looking at how much you serve or how much you give. God is not after the things that you can do. What, what God is after is your heart. What the gospel of grace gives us is a relationship through Jesus with God. And because of that, as a church, we begin to experience the glory of God. And when we experience the glory of God, it gives us a place to worship. To worship God is about knowing Him. Our faith is about trusting Him. God created us to be with him. I say this, and I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want our serving or our volunteer ministry to drop. But serving here at Five Stones is a result of your relationship with Jesus. and not the other way around. That we don't serve so that we have a relationship with Jesus, that we serve because we have a relationship with Jesus. That everything we do as a church needs to come first out of our relationship with God. And so when you're serving, I want you guys to think about where is my faith? Why am I doing this? Why am I serving? Lizzie's looking at me. She's ready. She's like, oh, no, our volunteerism's going to drop like crazy. <laughs> but one of the things I want Five Stones to be known for is your worship. Not singing, okay? Not, I mean, our worship team is great. Ben does a great job. Our team does a great job. That's not worship. That's an expression of worship. I want Five Stones to be known for our worship to God, meaning that I want Five Stones to be known for people that worship God in everything that they do, that God is the forefront, that he deserves all of our honor, all of our praise because we get to experience his glory. That's what I want Five Stones to be known for. Not what we do, but who we are. Because what we do comes out of who we are. And so the more we worship God, the more we understand his character, who he is, and what he is doing in our community. And therefore, we start doing things that reflect his heart for the community. That the compassion ministries that we do, that this, the serving things that we do, that when we go to serve at St. Aidan's, what's that ministry? Food for, food? Don't go hungry. When we serve in those places, that when people interact with Five Stones people, they see that there's something different. 
They feel that there's something different because we treat them with dignity. We treat them as people that God sees favor upon them. That's ministry. It's not just the work that we do, but the people that we are. And that we get to represent the greatness and the glory of God. Amen. God justified you for this. These last three sermons reveal to us the heart of God and the character of God. It reveals to us the goodness of God for this, for all of humanity to, 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 to have. We need to come to this place as a church where we're reminded that we are his people because of what he's done and not what we're doing to become his people because he justified us first. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come before you as sinners, as broken people. We thank you that it's because of your son Jesus that we're able to access you freely as we do today. That we are not taken away from your glory. But that we get to experience your glory. And Father God, may we be a church that increases in our faith because of your faithfulness. So Lord, together as a church, we come before you and we just lift up our worship unto you. Lord, that every single day that we live a life of worship to who you are. So Lord, we thank you. We pray all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, today we see a, a letter being written to a church that is, or two churches that are fighting about or debating the the rules that got put into place. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that the laws are good. The laws are very good, and we should want to follow them. You know, Stephen over here definitely wants us to follow him, them because he's an RCMP officer. But what Paul cuts through is that those laws didn't save the Jewish people. Those laws were to help them be more holy before God, but you look at it, and for every rule that's put into that, that section of the Bible, there are chapters upon chapters of the sacrifices and the procedures that had to be made to then try and atone for the sin. And we see this theme right from the very beginning that every time there is sin, there is death. There is either our death because of the sin, or there is the death of a sacrifice to atone for it. And that continues right until we see Jesus. And then Jesus' death is the ultimate sacrifice. It is his death that finally broke that cycle that we need to sacrifice something to atone for our sins because he did it. He was the sacrifice. And that's why we then now have this grace. We live under this covenant of grace where he has already gone before us and he has already wiped out all of those sins that come. And it's such a powerful thing that Paul is speaking of to the church. You know, we can't outserve our sin. You know, you can take as many Asian Edmonton-born drug dealers that you can find and you can make them serve in as many seniors' homes as you can find. And I can guarantee you that none of them will be saved. None of them will maybe probably become better people. None of them will go into service. And probably none of them will become pastors that speak to people here. However, when that same Edmonton-born drug dealer finds God and he meets Jesus, Jesus can change his heart. And I know that when Jesus met John, you know, John had a calling to pastoral ministry which 
we all stand blessed by, but he also could have said, I'm going to put you into seniors' home, and you're going to serve seniors. And I'm sure there would have been some great prayers on John's behalf around that topic, but I also know that he would have served. And there would have been the joy in the serving, right? It's not, it's, we serve because of what God has done for us, right? So, you know, I know John's like, oh, we're going to lose volunteers. No, we're not. We're going to gain them because everyone here that knows the joy of the Lord also knows the joy of serving his church, serving the community. What we are given, we are given to pour out onto others. And that is the grace. That is, that is our faith in action. And, and that is why we come together, is to grow that faith and, and grow as a community in that faith. So Lord, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for just the grace that covers us. We thank you for the mighty sacrifice that you did so that we can have that grace. And we don't have to sacrifice animals. We don't have to go through these procedures. Lord, your laws are good and we want to abide by them. But Lord, we also know that they never did and never can save us. And so, Lord, we look only to you. You are our Savior. You are our King. And so, Lord, we just ask this morning that you show us how to pull you more and more into our lives, to make you that pillar at the center of who we are, to make you our foundation on which we base everything. Lord, that when we go and serve food to people, that when we are typing emails, Lord, in whatever way that your ways can be, they would reflect you, that they would reflect the love and the grace that you have poured on us and that we want to pour on to others. You know, I also just want to offer that if there's someone here that has never experienced the grace of Jesus or you have questions about how he saved you and, and what this sin, the wages, the death that lays on you is, you know, I'd really encourage you to come talk to me, come talk to John, come talk to Andrew. We would, we would love to talk to you about more of what that means and, um, and hopefully introduce you to the Savior. But Lord, we just ask that as we go forth this week, you would be upon us. Lord, that you would bless us, you would shine upon us, and Lord, that, um, yeah, we would just be more like you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.